Revelation chapter 14, we'll see if we can get through kind of at a rush through the last service. So uh, it begins by saying, And I looked, and lo, um, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song. Before the throne and before the four cherubim, and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and unto the Lamb." And in their mouth was no guile found, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she made all of the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And a third angel followed them, saying, with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image or receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb." And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the, the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So this incredible picture that comes before us now, chapter 14, the whole tenor of the book of Revelation changes to where we, we've seen these different things take place, but now in 14, we see the gathering of the saints to Christ as the millennium is to begin, verses 1 to 5, verses then 6 to 13, back up and give us some of the things that were leading up to that. And then chapters 4, verses 14 to 20 take us all the way to Armageddon and put that before us. So it's almost this picture now of the Lord has got hold of the whole show and things have changed in a remarkable way. Look, 
we need to remember that the world we're living in and everything that's washing across our minds and our our vision and our ears that this crazy world is not in control of our lives if we belong to the savior for washing his blood jesus christ is in charge of our lives you know we did the best and moms do the best to raise their kids and we do it imperfectly we're all adults of sinning parents you know and and in this picture it's the lord himself who can do it perfectly who is sovereign who cares for us and directs us you know leading up to chapter 13 and 14 are in great contrast because we have the dragon we have the beast the antichrist we have the false prophet we have the whole world being subjected and then as we get to chapter 14, all of a sudden we have the Lamb of God in authority and power in contrast to all of that. But you and I are living in days right now leading up to these Antichrist days. We're not there yet. But Paul said to Timothy, Now the Spirit ex- uh, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Certainly we're seeing that. Many, not some giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. We don't see any of that anywhere. (laughs) Having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, even denying what marriage is anymore, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth, forbidding to eat meats. We're going to have to eat soon um, industrial meat made by Monsanto or DuPont or something. And every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused, but it is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. In 2 Timothy, he says this about the days that we're living in. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You can see that moral climate all around us. And, and you know, now, again, the, the gray area is gone. It's, it's black and white. If you, if you, you know, you're either loving the gospel and what you're hearing because it's giving you hope, or you're hating it. There's no more middle ground. People are either going to hate you because of what you believe, or they're going to love you because they're going to see and hear hope, which there isn't any of out there. But ultimately, it all takes shape then as the Antichrist comes to power, signs a seven-year treaty with the nation of Israel, becomes the dominant figure in the world, and then halfway through the tribulation, he destroys the whorish Babylonian, the great whore, the worship system. That doesn't go to the end of the tribulation. He destroys it. And then he proclaims himself to be God, Second Thessalonians, and demands that the whole world worship him as he sits in the temple in Jerusalem. And the false prophet done, does miracles in the sight of the world, creates an image of the beast, brings it to life. 
and then demands that everybody receives a mark on their forehead, on their hand, and, uh, of course, the number, 666, however that comes to play, whatever it is. And now we get to chapter 14, and all of a sudden we're able to look all the way to the end of this present age, the tribulation period, and see Christ and the 144,000 on Mount Zion. It begins by saying, I looked, King James says, and lo, that phrase there, I looked, is repeated in verse 6, if you look there, it says there again, I looked or I saw, and then in verse 14, again it says, I looked. They're all the same exact phrase in the Greek, and it divides the chapter into the three phases so that we can see it clearly. He says, I looked, it's oiden, I perceived, and he says, and lo. Literally, the, the Greek is, and behold, and that's an imperative. He says, look, I look now, and you need to behold this. You, you have to think about this. You have to look at this. He says, I beheld this, and he says, and lo, a lamb... The Greek is the lamb. There's a definite article. <clears throat> the lamb is standing on Mount Zion, and he's standing there with 144,000, having his father's name written in their forehead. Your translation might say his name and his father's name. It's a manuscript argument there. So he sees this amazing scene. He sees now the lamb, not a lamb. In chapter 13, the false prophet comes with the horns of a lamb. He's the pseudo-lamb, the, the counterfeit lamb. Now we see the lamb. The favorite name of Jesus for himself in the book of Revelation is the Lamb of God, 28 times. When we meet him in chapter 5, verse 6, it says there, it's a diminutive form, that John says, I beheld a, a little lamb with the marks of slaughter upon him. And he says he had seven eyes and seven horns. We meet him as this little lamb with the marks of slaughter, seven horns, all powerful, seven eyes, all knowing. We meet the lamb of God, sacrificial lamb of God, all knowing and all powerful. What an interesting set of concepts to put together and now he says, here, I beheld the lamb. There's only one. There's a definite article, the lamb. There's phonies, but there's only one lamb. And it's our lamb, Jesus Christ, all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's getting ready to set up his kingdom here. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? You know, I'm glad that he's not just my king. He's the lamb, because for me to get in, I need some washing. And he's the one who did that for us once and for all. So... He says, I see the Lamb on Mount Zion. Now, some try to make that heaven because as we move down, there's a voice from heaven. Mount Zion is used 162 times in the Bible. The only time it's used in Hebrews 12, verse 22, that may point us towards heaven, but it's speaking of a heavenly reality, not, a, not figurative. And all of the other times, it speaks of earth. It speaks Mount Zion was Jerusalem, in many places it talks about it. Psalm 2 says this, where the Lord is holding the nations in derision. They are trying to break his bands from them. 
he sits in the heavens and laughs. It says, Then shall he speak unto them the nations in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. He says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill, Zion. I will declare the decree of the Lord. He has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. Psalm 48 says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. It tells us this in Isaiah. It says, The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. All nations shall flow unto it. Many people shall go, and they will say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's Isaiah. Uh, again, in, in the Psalms, out of 150 Psalms, 30 of them talk about Mount Zion. We're told this in, uh, in Micah. Let me get there. Micah says this in chapter 4, But in the last days shall it come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. Listen, many nations shall come. That's not heaven. And say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord, uh, the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So you go through Joel, you go through Zechariah, you go through all the passages. Zion is a picture of something earthly. The 144,000 are gathered there because they knew after the desolation of abomination, there was only 1,260 days left until Christ would return. So no doubt, as they're getting close to that 1,260 days, they're journeying. They're coming. They know he's coming to Jerusalem, that he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. We see this 144,000 in chapter 7, and they're sealed, it says, in their foreheads. They're marked in contrast to the Antichrist who wants to put a seal on people's heads. And it says they're there sealed to be protected, they're indestructible as they're heading into the tribulation period. In chapter 14, they're coming out of the tribulation, and the seal has protected them. There's not one, you know, 143,999. There's not one of them missing. They are all still there. It isn't heaven because there's no special rapture for the 144,000 anywhere in the book of Revelation. It's not heaven because they're not martyred or the seal wouldn't protect them. They've gathered from the world to Mount Zion where Christ is coming to meet him at his return. They may be the bait that draws the Antichrist armies as well to Jerusalem at this point in time 
But Jesus Christ comes, the 144,000 are there, and in contrast to those who receive the mark of the beast, it is the name of God Almighty that's in their foreheads, it says. And then John says this, And I heard a voice from heaven, ek, out of heaven. Down in verse 13, if you look, he says, I heard a voice, ek, out from heaven. And look what he says, saying unto me. Just kind of sitting with this alone in the mornings, reading through it this week. You know, I love this idea, I heard a voice from heaven. This is going to be like the sound of many waters, but in verse 13 he says, and it was speaking unto me. And then he says, the Spirit said. I think, you know, what's the sense of playing church? What's the sense of saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, unless there's a reality on that side of things? Unless every one of us in this room can say, you know, the other day, I heard a voice from heaven. The Spirit was speaking to me. All the rest of it is fluff if that's not real. It's pablum. We have to be able to say, my Savior. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they hear it. And we've got to be able to say, that's what makes us different than that insanity out there. I heard a voice from heaven. I heard that this week. The Spirit spoke to me this week. I sit there with tears in my eyes early. It's quiet. And it's still. And my ears ring because I'm not used to no noise at all. But heaven speaks. And it makes everything, it makes all of this real, doesn't it? John says, I heard a voice from heaven. And he describes this voice. He's not in heaven. This comes out of heaven. He said it was as the voice of many waters. It wasn't many waters. He said it kind of like that. It was as the voice of great thunder. It was rumbling. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they're singing. He hears their voice, so he must be talking about the harpers, besides harping, are singing. And they sang, or they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed. It's a perfect tense, redeemed and are still redeemed out of the earth. That's you and I, by the way. It uses the same word. We've been purchased out of the slave market. We were slaves to sin. And when the Lord did that, he put a mark on us also. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us that you and I are also sealed with the Spirit unto the day of redemption. It's the same word that's used in Revelation 20 when an angel throws Lucifer into the abyss and sets a seal on it so he can't come out for a thousand years. The same seal that Satan can't break, same exact word, you and I are sealed unto the day of redemption. It's really an interesting word because in modern Greek, in Greece today, the arabona is the engagement ring. And the Lord has given us the engagement ring. We're waiting for the wedding day, aren't we? 
We're waiting for him to come and carry us across the threshold. It's got to be soon. But you and I have that. We have an endowment. We have the Arabona. We're sealed until the day of redemption, as these 144,000 are. And there's a new song, as it were a new song. A number of times in the Bible we read about new songs. Do that study on your own. They're all kind of significant. Here, this song, it's as a new song, probably because the spirit it's being sung in. Probably, it, it may not be truths that had never been heard, but the idea is from, from this great group of martyrs in heaven, they're singing this song, and there's a passion, and, and there's a fire to it. And he says, as it were, it was a new song, just the life of it. And only the 144,000 could learn that, chapter 15, verses 2 to 4, probably, given to us there. And I'm sorry, this is Mother's Day, so verse 4 and 5 are a little tough. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Second these, now, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goest. Third these, these were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth, was found no guile in contrast to the great liar in the chapter before this. For they are without fault before the throne of God. So we have this really difficult passage here. It says, these are they that are not defiled with women. What do we do with that? You know, there isn't anywhere in the Bible that teaches that women defile us. Nowhere. In fact, you look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 there, after following God through creation, it says every day, he said it was good. Behold, it was very good. The first time something's not good in the Bible, chapter 2, 18, God says it's not good for man to be alone. That ain't good. So I'm going to make him a, a helper that's suitable for him. Now, ladies, don't let that be demeaning that you're a helper. Realize what it's saying is the man you're married to would be in a heap of trouble if he didn't have some help. You know, God says not good for this one to be alone. He definitely needs some help. I'll make a helper for him. So, important role. In in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us that the husband and the wife are a picture of Christ and the church. There's nothing defiling about that at all tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, that the wedding bed, it's undefiled. It says that. That sexual relationships are pure. They're not defiling. What is it saying here? It can only be one of two things. You know, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says to the single men, if I was you, and he said, it's not the Lord's, my own advice, I would advise you to stay single so you have more freedom to serve the Lord. Because if you get married, you have to worry about the things in regards to your wife as well. In that sense, this 144,000 certainly that may have been a better position for them to be in. Interestingly, in Jeremiah chapter 16, the first three verses, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't marry. I want you to have a wife. And I don't want you to raise kids in the middle of this because the judgment that's coming is in terrible. It's terrible. 
And I don't want to see your heart broken. I don't want you to see you have to, you know, Ezekiel watched his wife die. I don't want you to have to watch that. I don't want to see your kids come under what's coming on the world. And he tells Jeremiah to stay single. So either here it's saying that these, they were foregoing sexual intimacy so that they could serve Christ. The hard part about that is there's nowhere that says sexual intimacy within marriage between a man and a woman defiles. It doesn't teach that anywhere in the Bible. The other possibility is, it tells us over here in verse 8, it says, there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Uh, also in, in chapter 17, chapter 18, it speaks of this great whore and her ability to defile. When the churches are challenged in the first, in, in chapters 2 and 3, it speaks of that Jezebel that's there. So possibly, and maybe I incline that way, I think what it's saying is these 144,000 were not defiled by the great whore, the great religious system that had come on the world that's dragging the rest of the world under its auspices, offering them some false peace or some false rest or solace. These 144,000 stayed true to Christ no matter what the cost was. So that, that's what I think it's saying here. They, they were not defiled by this great whorish system that overtook the whole world. It says, these are they then which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. That's a great challenge for you and I. Are we willing to follow Jesus whithersoever he goeth? Wherever it is. You know, it's fun. My, my son Josh and I, he's reading a commentary on Judges, and he read this part to me yesterday about taking out the garbage and taking out the trash and how we kind of think, uh, it was my job. I grew up, you know, when I was a kid, that trash was my job. I mean, you know, cutting the lawn, take out the trash, take out the garbage, those were my jobs. And, and you're kind of like, you know. Uh, and, but the, the author said, look, there's another side to that. You're taking out your leftover, your coffee grinds, your, your leftover food. You're taking out the abundance of what's left over. And that is always a sacred duty because every time you take that out, you're acknowledging the provision of Almighty God and you had more than you needed and you're taking it out, you know. And I thought, what an interesting thing because Jesus says, if you just give a glass of water to a disciple in my name, you'll in no wise lose your reward. My, my wife is somebody that follows the Lord whithersoever she goeth. If he says, get a mask, you know, with scripture on it, She's doing that all the time. You know, I get to witness to this person. I gave this person a book. I witnessed to the guy in the gas station. I did, you know, she's just, you know, whithersoever. There's nothing, there's nothing that's too small. There's nothing, you know, because she sees life in those kind of increments. She, you know, she'll say to me, did you see this person? Did you see that person? Did you? And I'll say, I, I didn't see any of that. Duh. You know, because if I saw life as incrementally as she does, I would jump out a window. I have to see the big picture. I have to have a sense of the church. I have to have vision. But it's whithersoever. There's no small thing that we do for Jesus. You know, the man that, that led the boy to, to the Lord in his shoe store, D.L. Moody, who changed the world. 
There is no small thing. And these 144,000 are marked by that. They're, they're not defiled by phony religious system. And wherever Jesus leads, they follow. Talk to that person. Go over there. Whithersoever. That's a great King James word. That make a great, again, a great T-shirt or a, a great hoodie. Whithersoever. Everybody was saying, what the heck is whithersoever? And say, that's, where I, that's how I follow the Lord. Whithersoever he goeth. And lastly, it says the third time, these were redeemed from among men. They're the first fruits. The idea is the first fruits were dedicated to the Lord, but they often indicated a greater harvest coming. They're redeemed and remain redeemed. They're bought out from the earth, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile. Isn't it wonderful when you're around a person like that? Kids have no guile. They say things, and when they come over, don't you say that. Don't you tell them. You know, because you got to tell them not to tell the truth. Sometimes you got to tell them to tell the truth, but sometimes you don't have to tell them. You know, the little kid, when our kids were little, I remember another little kid came over, and her mom was walking her over, and my daughter said, I'm not allowed to play with you. You have imbitego. <laughs> you know, just, you know. <clears throat> When I remember Gail Irwin would come stay at our house and he would say to my kids, now is there anything your mom and dad told you not to say when I got here? You just In their mouth is no guile, that childlike simplicity. And it says they're without fault before the throne of God. It doesn't say they're sinless. It says they're without fault. Jude says, now unto him who is able to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. Here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's certainly this 144,000. They're faultless in that respect. Now another angel, second angel now. In verse 6, I saw another angel. Now this, this angel sets the next scene. I saw, same as verse 1, I looked. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And this angel was saying with a loud voice, if you want every nation, kindred, tongue, and people to hear you, you do that. With a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So this first angel. Uh, some people have a problem with this because it says he preaches the gospel. And there's nowhere in the New Testament during the church age when angels preach the gospel. Uh, they look into the things relative to the heirs of salvation. But this is interesting. This is called the everlasting gospel. It's the only time in the book of Revelation the word everlasting is used. It's the everlasting gospel. It's the only time in the book of Revelation the word gospel is used. And it's the last time in the Bible. Seventy other times in the New Testament. This is the last exclamation of the gospel, the everlasting gospel in the book of Revelation. And it's an angel flying through the heavens, no doubt with a special dispensation, so that no one on earth is going to be able to say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. This has to be earlier because there's going to be a warning by the third angel not to receive the mark of the beast. So this angel flies around and says, the planet, 
audibly out loud. And as he does it, he preaches the everlasting gospel, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every people. He knows every dialect in the world. He's heard Matthew 24 says, For this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world, then the end shall come. And people have used that as great you know, inspiration for evangelism. I understand that. But that ain't what it's talking about. It's pointing us here because the number of Christians, people turning to Christ now, is diminishing compared to the total population of the world. Jesus said things would wax worse and worse. That's the track that we're on. It says here, this angel then preached the everlasting gospel. There's only one. There's only ever been one gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, though anybody would ever preach another gospel to you, even if it's an angel from heaven, let him be anathema. Let him be eternally damned. So this angel is only preaching the one gospel that there's ever been, the everlasting gospel. And in regards to that, he challenges them to do three things. Look in verse 7. With a loud voice, no, no doubt in every language and so forth, every dialect, he says these things. Number one, fear God. Number two, give glory to him. The hour of his judgment has come. And number three, worship him instead of the beast who's going to be demanding worship that made heaven and earth. And you notice there's no evolutionist amongst angels that made heaven and earth and the, the sea and the fountains of water. And those are all imperatives. Those three things that are said loudly in verse seven, it says, it says, fear God. That's imperative. You need to do this. Give glory to him. That's imperative. You need to do that. Worship him. You need to do that. Loud voice. These are the things that are being put before us. And then following him, there's another angel, evidently global impact. And this angel is saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city because she made all of the nations of the world drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This is the first time Babylon is mentioned in Revelation. It'll be six more times we'll hear about it. And chapter 17 and 18 will really develop Babylon. You have uh, Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 51 and 52, and you have... Uh, Revelation 17 and 18, more print is given to Babylon than any other city in the Bible except Jerusalem. And the Bible's a tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon, and they represent opposite things. Now there is this angel going through the sky saying, your globalist dreams are coming to nothing. You're hoping that there'll be a global economy that's successful. You're hoping that there's going to be, you know, global medical care that's going to work, global military is going to work, global police force is going to work, global this and global that. It's all going bye-bye. You know, if anybody talks about building back better, go to the book of Revelation. That's where you see how to build back better. It ain't going to happen in this world. Where are your hopes? Are they in this material world? Because this angel's saying it's all, it's all going to go. 
It's going to run through your fingers like mercury. It's all going to be gone. And it isn't just a city. It mentions city here because in Revelation 17, it mentions their great mystery Babylon. We'll get there, which is broader than just a particular geographical city. And then the next angel, the third angel, listen, this angel now gives us a description of the torment and suffering of the lost that is really unequaled in the Bible. This is the most terrifying picture of what happens to those who turn from the living God and they turn to the false God, the Antichrist, and they receive his mark. Let's look through these few verses. It says, the third angel followed them saying again with a loud voice, nobody's going to say I wasn't warned, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in their forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and forever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So this third angel now saying, look, Loud voice. Anybody who receives the mark of the beast, who worships him, your names are never, you're never going to be in heaven. You have signed, sealed, and delivered your destiny if you do that. He, he tells us this is a place, he says, he says, they shall drink, future tense, they shall be tormented. He's saying this is what's going to happen if you don't listen to what I'm saying. These are the things that are going to come. And he says there's a cup in the hand of God. It's the cup of his indignation without admixture. It's not watered down at all. And those who drink that, the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and forever. It's aeonios, aeonios, no articles. It's stressing eternity. Eleven other times in Revelation, but with articles. It stresses the, the eternity, the ages that will go on. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us it's everlasting fire. It's, you, you can't quench it. It's unquenchable. It burns forever. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. It isn't punitive in the sense that it's, it's therapeutic. It's going to straighten somebody out who suffers for a little while. There's none of that here. This is torment that's eternal it's why Jesus in Gethsemane sweat great drops of blood when he said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. It was the cup of God's torment poured out without a mixture. And the torment of that cup, the smoke of it, ascends forever and ever. It is a cup of fire and brimstone, a Greek phrase that means it is, it is self Fueled. It needs no fueling. It continues to burn. And Jesus drank that for me and for you. When he said, why hast thou forsaken me? In those three hours of darkness, he died eternally. When he came out of the three hours of darkness, he said, it is finished. Before he died physically, he had died eternally. 
And when he said it is finished, it looked both ways. It looked to what he had accomplished eternally, and it looked to what was right then happening physically. And he drank that for me and for you. Aren't you glad? I'm never going to have to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He stood in my place. The Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. He who knew no sin became sin that Joe Foch and all y'all might be the very righteousness of God. That's unbelievable. But, but the angels give these warnings. Number one, turn. Turn. The everlasting gospel. Turn. The whole world's going to hear it. Supernaturally. Turn. Secondly, earthly hopes are gone. Babylon's gone. Whatever you hoped in, there's no world system here that sustains itself. It's gone. And thirdly, he says, don't be deceived. Because anybody who goes for this is lost and suffering eternally. He says then in verse 12, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It's basically saying, look, encouraging those during this time period, you may suffer your martyrdom and so forth, but this is the patience of the saints. And then John says in verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying to me. Now this voice from heaven, and it says right after this, Yea, saith the Spirit. This voice from heaven now, he said, was speaking to me personally. And the voice said, Write, which is an imperative, You must now write this. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. It's the tri- going to the great tribulation. You lay down your life for Christ. It's superior to living through this period of time and you're immediately then in the presence of the Lord the spirit says it says yea saith the spirit the reason that they may rest from their labors their works do follow them this is an interesting verse 13 here's why in chapters 2 and 3 when we studied the seven churches at the end of every one of those letters to the churches it says let him who has an ear hear what the spirit is presently saying to the churches. In chapter 22, it says, the spirit and the bride say come. The only other place in the book of Revelation where the spirit expressly speaks is here. Chapters 2 and 3, chapter 22 as the book ends, the only other place is the spirit interjects himself right here, and he says, yea, saith the spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. The Holy Spirit is saying, I labor in their hearts every day to encourage them, to give them assurance, to empower them, to comfort. And from this point, those who die in the Lord, yea, saith the Spirit, because they're going to rest. They're finally going to rest from their labors. And their works are going to fall. They're going to get rewarded. You know, look, we have the same Holy Spirit. Jesus, in John chapter 14, said, he said, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Or phanos in the Greek. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He said, I have been with you to the disciples, but I shall be in you. He said, I'm going to send you the Spirit of God, the Comforter. And we need that today in our lives in this world, don't we? We need God's Holy Spirit to be the comforter in our lives, the strengthener, the clarifier, the renewer, the empowerer. 
We need that in our lives. Same spirit, brokenhearted over tribulation saints and what they're enduring because he's laboring in their hearts every day to bring them along through those times is the same Holy Spirit that speaks to you and I today. He's eternal. About the love of Christ, about the days that we're living in, about what's going on around us, about the fact there's no hope in this present Babylon, about the warnings we should take heed to, about the glorious future, the light at the end of the tunnel, when things are finally rebuilt better. All of that the Holy Spirit gives to us. Amen? Amen. You know, and look, what we need to do is whithersoever he leads you this week, witness to that person. If he puts somebody in front of you and says, look at the tears in their eyes, go talk to them. If he says, hand this person a track or give this person a buck, you know, whithersoever he leads, then we're effective in the world that we're leading in if we are his ambassadors. If he, if he can use our hands and if he can use our voice and he can use our feet and he can live through us to a lost world. That's what set aside this group here. You know, they weren't defiled by religious systems in this world. Whithersoever he led, they followed. And there was no guile, no deceit in their mouths. They were faultless because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. That's, that's us as well. Amen? Amen? Let's stand. Let's sing a last song together. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, forget about Calvary Chapel, forget about church, forget about denominations, forget about Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, whatever. If you don't know Jesus, He's coming. He hung on the cross for you. No pastor, no priest, no nobody. Jesus hung on the cross for you. He's returning for his purchased possession. He loves you. He died for you. If you have never come to him personally, forget about religion. He wants a relationship. He loves you. If you've never come, as we sing this last song, please feel free to come down here. Somebody drug you out to church. They're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go with you. We'll be up here afterwards. We'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, some literature to read. Please make a decision for the coming one. Please make a decision for the right coming one because there is another coming one that will deceive. There is Satan's Christ and there is God's Christ. You're here to get saved? What's your name? Anybody else you come? This is Isaac. He's here. He's courageous. The Bible said this. The Bible, Jesus said, if you're willing to acknowledge me before men, like Isaac just did, I'll acknowledge you before my Father and all of the angels in heaven. And it says, when one sinner comes to be saved, all of heaven rejoices. So let's sing this last song. Please, if he's pulling on the, your heartstrings, you're going to know that. You need to get saved. Get down here with Isaac. We want to pray with you, give you a Bible, some literature to read. Father, I know you've overheard. We put these things before you. Hear our voices as we lift them to you. Hear our hearts, Lord, as we cry for your aid and your consistency and your leading in our lives. And Father, you add to the church daily such as should be saved. It's your work. We trust you to draw anyone else here, Lord, that this day wants to come. Forget about church and religious games, but they want you, Lord Jesus. They want to know your love. They want to know your forgiveness. 
draw them today, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.